It's not. It has to do with the <laughs> over... <laughs> <laughs> really, really tried to keep the water away from the microphone, and then I had to go off right Hey, I'm Marin. And I'm Harry. And this is A for Effort. The show where we each bring three words or terms or phrases the other person doesn't know based on a single theme each, respectively, and we have to guess what they mean. <laughs> Last time, Harry guessed first, so this time I will guess first, which means that this time Harry will present his terms first, and but next that, time I'll present my terms because first. Because last time I presented my terms second. <laughs> Does that yeah. understand? Good. All right. My theme this week is the Silk Road, because I'm reading a okay. book about the Silk Road. My first phrase is syncretic philosophy. I'd spell it for you, but I bet you already know how it's spelled. No, I'll spell it for you. It's S Y N C R E T I C space P H I L O S O P H Y. Period. Excellent. So, how would you define philosophy? (laughs) Okay, so the Silk Road uh, was a trade route between China and Europe, basically. But Mm -hmm. in, I mean, for most of the history of it, Europe was pretty irrelevant to the equation like it was it was basically a backwater no money no trading they had no goods to give and no gold to use so really the silk road and its importance was between china and the middle east first persia and then the islamic empires and so on and so forth okay cool um philosophy <laughs> is a pursuit of understanding of the world mm-hmm. and Syncretic. When I think sync, I think synchronization. Mm-hmm. Um, the cron in synchronization is time, so the sync is alignment of time because synchronization is things happening at the same time. Um, so then within syncretic, um, I'm taking sync to be alignment. I'm not sure what the root of credit is. Uh, don't know. <laughs> yeah. So, um, alignment of <laughs> ways of knowing about the world. Well, the thesis of this book, basically, is that these places were a lot more interconnected than we thought. Religiously, culturally, economically, linguistically, there's a lot of exchange uh, between these places. And that's kind of uh, syncretic philosophy. is kind of a product of all this exchange. Okay. So there's a lot of exchange. Syncretic philosophy results. It has something to do with alignment of knowing about the world. There's like a key <laughs> term missing in there from credit, but um, so is it syncretic philosophy? Are there like commonalities in governing structures or in cultures between the Middle East and China? As a result of trade along the Silk Road and like cultural exchange, is yes. syncretic philosophy like an alignment, a similarity in culture, or a similarity in pursuit of knowledge? In a way, yes. Do you want me to give you the thing? Yeah, sure. It was the um, resulting uh, um, overlap 
of these various cultural philosophies, like Persian philosophy or Chinese philosophy or Arab philosophy had a lot in common at this point in time because there was so much intellectual exchange between them. Right. So syncretic philosophy describes the overlap in more local philosophies Mm -hmm. as a result of cultural exchange along the Silk Road. Yes. Great. So syncretic philosophy is not itself a branch of philosophy. It describes... It's a descriptor. Yes, exactly. Okay. It's more like, like it's kind of like synchronized philosophy. Right. It's kind of <laughs> how, it, how it makes sense to me. Okay, cool. Yes. Good. Noted. Well done. Thank you. Number two, Pax Mongolica. Okay. Um, Pax Mongolica. Is the Mongolica like Mongolia related? Yes. Okay, Pax um, sounds like a mispronunciation of the French word for peace. Mm-hmm. Is it? <laughs> is it a mispronunciation? Or, no. Yeah. Uh, or is it pacts? No, like P A C T S. P A X. Does it have anything to do with peace? Yes. Um. So, because it's the Silk Road and there are a lot of people traveling on it, I'm gonna guess that the Pax Mongolica is. Some system of rules or laws, kind of, that protect, at least in theory, merchants traveling along the road. It's like some doctrine um, that lays out the, like, correct way to conduct yourself along the road. Kind of. Yeah, basically, yes. Yes. Okay. The Pax Mongolica... Have you ever heard of the Pax Romana or Pax Britannia? No. So the, those were other two enormous empires. And historians have defined or described their eras of dominance as Pax is or pieces or peace. Eras of peace in which trade flourished because okay. there was kind of a universal, um, a centralized power giving a like universalizing trade and standardizing uh, currency and making sure there's the same system of law all over the place. Right. So in the same way, the Pax Mongolica, though less mainstream in its historical use, is a descriptor of this era in which the Mongolian Empire held huge number of cities along the Silk Road mm-hmm. and therefore was able to maintain peace and standardization between those places. Okay, so the Pax Mongolica describes a period of time when the Mongolian Empire had control over a lot of cities along, or a lot of, I don't know, localities along the Silk Road, and could then impose some sort of standardized laws on them, leading to a period of peace conducive to trade. Yeah. Good. Yes. Indeed. All right. My final turn tonight, ladies and gentlemen. (laughs) Is uh, is Eurasian Land Bridge. Now this is a much more modern term. Okay. When I think land bridge, I think Beringia. Yes, I as well. <laughs> um, but this is was, not that. Uh, yeah, I didn't think it was. <laughs> um, Beringia is was a 
a land bridge between Asia and North America slash the Arctic, whatever. <laughs> Anyways. Okay. The Eurasian land bridge. Mm-hmm. Um, is that just a term referring to tr- like trade routes between Europe and Asia? The reason I ask that is because Eurasia, like Europe and Asia are not separated by water in the first place. Oh, aren't they? Uh, <laughs> no, they aren't. <laughs> I was like, maybe at like the very top. <laughs> um, there are all those um, little islands. <laughs> yes, basically, yes. Okay. It is the description of a portion of the new Chinese Silk Road which is an initiative to build infrastructure to be able to trade goods overland all the way from Beijing to London. So the new Eurasian land bridge is building like a singular railway track all the way along. Oh, wow. Of the Eurasian How long continent. is that going to be? Very long. It's already built. Oh, wow. It's very long. It takes like two months for goods to get across. And so, and what, it's, it's less expensive. What are the benefits of sending it by rail? I don't know. From what I've read, there are no benefits, and it's more <laughs> of a publicity thing, you know, okay. celebrating the interconnectedness. And Got it. kind of also, it's about um, recentering global trade around China as it once was. Noted. So the Eurasian land bridge is a rail from Beijing to anywhere in where would it what is its end destination london london um or london <laughs> sorry london london town <laughs> yeah so the eurasian land bridge is a rail from beijing to london it's a trade route by land yes and the idea is to recenter in part it's for publicity but also to recenter china in global trade yes well that is the end of round one round two Mm. my theme this week is immunization oh yeah Mm -hmm. and it was gonna be something else but then i couldn't find a third term quickly enough so (laughs) i switched I changed tack. So that classic theme we all know and love. <laughs> immunization. My first term is herd immunity. Her Oh, herd immunity mm-hmm. is you need to reach a certain level of immunization for it to work for the whole group. So, for example, like with measles or any mm-hmm. other disease for which there is an immunization, <laughs> there are there is a certain percentage of people who mm-hmm. aren't able to get the vaccination, whether it's because they have an immuno disorder or whether mm-hmm. they are a baby with an immuno disorder. Yeah. And so they can't catch it from the rest of the herd because everyone else is vaccinated. But that's a safe percentage. But if you increase the percentage of people not vaccinated, it can lead to a kind of... Um, kind of a domino effect of people becoming infected by it. Is that kind of it? Yeah, that's exactly it. Oh, so okay. once a once a percentage of people are vaccinated, yeah. even those who are vulnerable to the disease, like children who are too young to be vaccinated or like people who are immunocompromised, mm-hmm. are protected by the scarcity of yes. the disease in the population. Um, that is herd immunity. Great, moving on. <laughs> <laughs> Next. My next term <laughs> is critical community size. Uh, do you need... Oh, is that about the community being vaccinated or the community inside the vaccination? 
That's a, a random guess that maybe it was something to do with the bacterial colony or something. Even it's about it's, the human community. Okay, and it's critical community size? Yeah. Is it similar to herd immunity? Kind of, but in, uh, also it's similar to herd immunity in that it has to do with the... <laughs> it has to do with immunization. <laughs> Um, this is more like critical from the from the pathogens standpoint. Like the community has to be of a certain size for the pathogen to be able to take hold. Yeah, that's very close. It's not just for the pathogen to take hold. For the pathogen to take hold and in a, in a temporal, <laughs> it's temporal. That's the last bit. For it to take hold permanently. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Indefinitely. Indefinitely. Yeah. So there's a minimum size um, because when the community size falls below that. There are basically like so few people. The the population is the density is so low mm-hmm. that the pathogen can't transmit, and that's also a critical community size. Specifically refers to the size of the population for a human to human pathogen. Oh right, of course, yes. Because obviously, if it can be transferred to and from animals, and that changes the calculus. Then side. that changes. Yeah, exactly. Great. Good. And my final term <laughs> is active immunization. Um, is that like a flu thing where you need to get it redone every year? No. Is it to do with what is in the vaccination itself? Like, I'm, like is, it, is it to do with it being a live vaccination or not? Yes. So is active immunization a live vaccination? The active refers to your immune system. Your immune system's participation, and it's contrasted with passive immunization. It's active immunization where it creates specific antibodies. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's kind of um, useful because of the active immuno response to its injection into your body. Yeah, it's also also could be called your acquired immune system. Oh, so right. So this is okay. like your immune system has come in contact with. A pathogen and yeah. then generated defenses like antibodies yeah. um, in response, whereas something like passive immunization, the antibodies are just injected directly yes. through something like a blood transfusion mm-hmm. or from mother to fetus through the placenta. So, um, so active immunization, that's what it's called, mm-hmm. Yeah, is when your body develops it Yeah, reactively. Yes. Cool. And that can be in response to yes. the pathogen itself or yep. to the weakened version of the pathogen that will yep. end up in a, in a vaccine. Cool beans. Yeah, indeed. And passive immunization, I will note, <laughs> is um, lasts for a shorter period of time. Mm-hmm. And there can also be like complications as there, there could always be complications when there's like a blood transfusion. Yeah. Um, so there could be like a blood type mismatch, um, but you would do it if it's like the person doesn't respond to vaccination for some reason or if they are if they have a, an immunosuppressive mm-hmm. disorder where their immune system like cannot fight off um cannot generate antibodies then yes. you might in the short term use passive immunization or in a selective way use passive immunization even though that will last a shorter period of time already cool me that is the end of round 2 All right, Dunzo. Excellent, as am I. Oh, fine, good. I am as well. <laughs> you want to go first? Yeah. 
Great. For syncretic philosophy, I gave you four out of five. Oh, thank you. For Pax Mongolica, you received a four out of five. Uh, excellent. And for Eurasian Land Bridge, <laughs> I gave you five out of five. Oh, uh, wow. Thank you. All right. For Herd Immunity, I gave you zero out of five. <laughs> That's fair. <laughs> Just kidding. Five out of five. For Critical Community Size, a five out of five. Uh, thank you. And for Active Immunization, a four out of five. Uh, thank you. Uh, for a total of 14 out of 15. Oh, you've got a total of 13 out of 15. Well done. Uh, excellent. If you would like to learn more about immunization, I Googled about immunization. So, so do I what I did. I don't have any specific <laughs> references for you in this instance, but the theme was inspired by listening to news coverage about measles outbreaks in mm. the United States. <laughs> if you'd like to learn more about the Silk Road, then you can read The Silk Roads, A New History of the World by Peter Frankopan. It's super good. I'm reading it right now. Excellent. Um, A for Effort is hosted and produced by me, Mairead. And me, Harry. And it's edited by me, Mairead. And sometimes me, Harry. Our sound engineer is Nick Shoup, and our illustrator is Marielle Wall. You can find their illustrations on our Instagram at A for Effort Cast. You can also find the show on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, wherever you get your podcasts. And if you'd like to get into contact with us, you can send us an email at aforeffortcast at gmail.com. Other than that, we'll be back in two weeks. See you then. Goodbye. Bye. Well, when you're sand gardening, nothing is green. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Gotta water the sand. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs>